0: We're happy to be back, bringing you another episode of Millennium Live, where we sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live. My name is Katie Perry, and today I am joined with a very special thought leader, Michelle Chulik, who is the former president and CEO of the Wyoming Medical Center. Thank you so much for being here today, Michelle. Thank you, Katie.
0: It's my pleasure to be here this morning.
1: I am so excited about this podcast. We have a great conversation coming up. Michelle was the keynote panel moderator for us back in April for our healthcare assembly. And she has such an amazing background that we brought her on and I want everyone to hear all about her wonderful career. So before we really jump in and talk about your roles, Michelle, I'm just curious what your background was. Could you give us a little bit about maybe your undergraduate career, what you studied and how it really brought you to where you are today?
0: Sure. It's a great start and good morning, everyone my undergraduate degree is from Duke I received a bachelor of science in nursing and right after graduation I pretty much said I really want to apply my undergraduate degree to actually a a business degree and I started my MBA I always say you know no one could pull the wool over my eyes in the healthcare environment because I actually worked in the healthcare environment I was a nursing assistant during my my junior and senior year of Duke to get a feel for what healthcare was all about and what patient care was all about. And then, as I said, did um, some nursing education roles, finished my MBA, and then went on to, to do consulting with KPMG.
1: I guess a little bit of a personal question. While you were doing this and you were studying nursing, then you were a nurse for a little while, you were studying for your MBA. What was it like back then as far as women trying to jump into the business role or the side of healthcare?
0: It was unique. Combining my MBA with an undergraduate degree in nursing was a really unique combination. And a lot of consulting firms were looking for individuals that actually had my background so that they could apply it to several different types of consulting engagements. Not only from my perspective, I had a concentration in finance, but there was a great deal of work being done with uh, DRGs at the time. And DRGs were just coming on the scene and medical record coding and looking at all of the different advantages of having a consultant that had a healthcare background to be able to help healthcare facilities in terms of medical record coding, DRG implications. And then in my particular case, I did a lot of financial feasibility studies.
1: Wow. So then after KPMG, you then went into Beaumont Healthcare, correct? Yes. Actually,
0: I had worked at Beaumont for a little while, finished my MBA, and then went to KPMG. I actually had two children in the process, and figured I, I you know my husband is an attorney. We were both working many, many hours and we were both traveling and uh, made a decision that I was the one now to say, okay, let me find a position. I went back to Beaumont and um, they were just so lovely to to take me back and I actually came back in a very unique role um, in management engineering. And we um, really focused on process improvement. And that was a foray for me to add not only my financial background, but my operational background, my experience in consulting, to apply that to a number of different situations at Beaumont.
1: Wow. So you were there for nearly two decades. So I'm sure technology completely transformed throughout that time. What did you see over those two decades?
0: Beaumont was just a very incredibly progressive health system at the time. They had one of the very first electronic health records, which eventually turned into EPIC. They also had one of the very first implementations of an Oracle ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System, which I was fortunate enough to lead that implementation over a two and a half year period. It was one of the very, as I said, one of the very first implementations in a healthcare setting. Usually you found an Oracle ERP in a, in a much more business centric, not healthcare related. And so Beaumont was one of the very first healthcare facilities that Im- implemented an Oracle ERP, soup to nuts. Wow. Totally integrated. And it was a really, really fun project to work on.
1: I'm sure for anyone who wasn't in the healthcare industry during that time, it might be hard to think of a time when we weren't so transformed technologically within oh. health systems. Oh. So how did you see patient care also change as the technology was changing as well?
0: Beaumont was, again, as I said, very sophisticated and and, and a leader. They, in in many cases while I was there over the last, probably in the last five years that I was there, they were in the top five in the country, not only in admissions, number of admissions, number of emergency room visits, um, number of operating room cases. We had 72 plus ORs at Beaumont. And so the ability to put all of that information in electronic format, actually improved our ability to share information. Today, you take it for granted, right? You take it very much for granted. But back then, you, you didn't have all of that information at your fingertips by just logging into you know, a computer. And so I saw the transformation in terms of the efficiency of healthcare and the efficiency of, of patient care. But it also, I think, Beaumont had a culture that was just very patient forward. They were very interested in the patient experience. We were one of the facilities that actually contracted with the Studer Group um, and with Patrick Lencioni in terms of leadership management. And and so between the ability to have the electronics and the ability to have that information at your fingertips, they also thought about how that's affecting the patient experience and patient care. And we're really focused um, on both. The culture was it was simply amazing. It really was.
1: That's wonderful. So after that, you then went on to a couple different roles. You went to the University of Miami and Children's Health System of Texas. So was there a specific reason for switching roles? Was it just trying something new, personal life changes? It was
0: career growth. I knew that in order for my eventual goal, which is which was to be a CEO of a hospital or a health system, I needed to have experience outside of Beaumont. And I had an incredible opportunity to go and be the chief operating officer of the hospital division at the University of Miami after my my Beaumont experience. And that was really my first foray into true academic medicine. Beaumont was a thousand bed facility in Royal Royal Oak, Michigan, that had an academic affiliation, but not necessarily a ownership of an of an academic program from a medical school perspective. And so, Miami was really my my first foray into true academic medicine, coupled with a hospital environment within the same ownership. And that obviously was at the University of Miami.
1: The difference between having you know ownership with the academic partnership, what did you see as far as changes and growth going on at the University of Miami?
0: Um, academic medicine is unique. It's really a, a, a leader in terms of research and a leader in terms of um, looking at the level of sophistication that you have. <clears throat> but it is a, an interrelationship between the physicians who are actually employees of the university but they're also independent in terms of their ability to provide the care that they need to for the patients in the hospital. And Miami had um, three really different clinical environments. They had Baskin-Palmer Eye Institute, which was the number one eye institute in the country. They had Sylvester um, Comprehensive Cancer Center, which was a, again, one of 11 uh, prospective payment. They do not, they are PPS exempt a hospital, and there's only 11 of them in the country. And then the third was one that we actually and I helped facilitate the purchase of from HCA during my first year at Miami. And that was the University of Miami Hospital. And um, that whole environment is is unique because they're all connected. Everyone is on the same sort of team because you're all employees of the University of Miami. And the whole goal was to grow as a university and as a medical school. So it was really a huge team that you saw pulled together to achieve a very specific outcome, which was growth and improvement in the rankings of the medical school. It was also an amazing opportunity for me to work with Donna Shalala, who was the former Secretary of Health and Human Services. And she was just an incredible mentor to me, Um, had a great vision to improve and build the name and rankings of the medical school, the Miller School of Medicine and was just a a wonderful mentor. So that time was a very special time in my career.
1: It seems that each step of the way in your career, you have not only enjoyed what you have done professionally, but also personally, it has been such a wonderful role for you and your growth. Yes.
0: Each of them hold very special places in my heart, but they also provided me just a, a wonderful, diverse background. So I started at Beaumont, a community hospital, yes, a thousand beds, but still a community hospital, went to an academic university medical setting, then went off to Dallas Children's, which was, you know, an independent children's hospital affiliated with UT Southwestern. There was a direct affiliation, but not an ownership. And so as an independent hospital, it was ranked sixth in the country as an independent children's hospital. That in itself is a whole experience where you're focused on not small adults. People think, you know, oh, it's the same type of care. No, pediatrics is entirely its its own environment. And the ability to look at how care is delivered in a pediatric setting where You know, those children don't necessarily understand what you're saying to them, but now you have a a parent or a grandparent or another sibling that is involved in this care. And it becomes multidimensional to a much greater degree than I actually actually saw in the adult setting. Right. So that, that was a wonderful experience because there I was the chief administrative officer and the president of the Ventures Group. And so I dealt with a lot of the business side not necessarily the clinical side or the operational side. In Dallas, I dealt with the business side. I dealt with, again, the strategy. I dealt with looking at um, how we move forward with a new strategy for growth. I did a lot with mergers and acquisitions and looking at how we could joint venture for growth. We actually completed a joint venture with uh, Jim Andrews for a pediatric sports medicine clinic up in Plano which again was a part of our strategy for growth. And Jim Anders, as you may know, is a very, very well-known physician for sports medicine and for highly elite athletes in the NBA, skiing, baseball, whatever. But he was very focused on trying to leave a legacy that focused on children And so from that perspective, that too was incredibly rewarding because we brought a new service, a new capability and to, to Dallas for the pediatric population. So that, that was terrific. And then my last role, you know, was really the, my goal, my goal to be um, CEO. And um, it also provided a very, very different environment than I had previously, because now I was in a rural healthcare setting. My, my experiences all led up to my ability to um, be successful in a CEO role, but they also provided me so many opportunities to see health care in different venues and different perspectives.
1: Absolutely. Now, did you find that there were more or less challenges in your in each role based on location? I, I know Wyoming was very different than the other three, but did you find that in Miami there were certain challenges or in Texas? I'm just curious if location played any factor into how you did your job.
0: Location didn't really play a factor in how I did my job, but location did play a factor in, you know, the um, amount of support that a state might give for um, whether it be um, pediatric care, whether it be from a Medicaid perspective. So the differences did not affect per se my job, but the differences really were in the support that a state would provide for its residents from a healthcare perspective.
1: Now you left your previous role at Wyoming Medical Center right before the pandemic hit. So I just want to briefly touch upon that and what you saw leading up to the pandemic and maybe now what you're hearing and seeing in hopefully what is near the end of it. And what did you see kind of just changing and transforming within the healthcare systems, both maybe on the clinical and the business side, right before the pandemic hit? And then what did you see as it was going on?
0: It's a great question. Um, I left at the very end of September, beginning of October of last fall. so. We actually felt um, the pandemic from um, probably the uh, beginning of March of 2020. And again, obviously, when I left, it was still very, very active in Wyoming. What we saw in terms of um, our ability to care for patients required us to transform ourselves. We had already begun a project to expand telehealth across the state we had initiated a partnership with a company called InTouch to begin telehealth clinics um, within our campus and then to identify locations across the state for telehealth clinics. And what the pandemic actually required of us was to accelerate that implementation. And we were the only hospital-based telehealth opportunity in the state of Wyoming. Yes, there were a few other small little telehealth capabilities, mostly connected to academic medical centers for things like stroke. But our whole program was really based on not only primary care, but stroke care, dialysis, clinic to clinic. And so we accelerated our implementation and carried out our usual primary care visits uh, using telehealth. We expanded our capability for uh, stroke care uh, across the state during that time. Also, dialysis care with our consultants, our nephrologists, who were resident in Wyoming. And then right before I left, we launched a, a handheld application for urgent care. Our reaction was just like everyone else's across the country, I'm sure, But when you think about Wyoming in being really the only hospital-based telehealth application, you're looking at a a state that, in some cases, you didn't have cell service. We We couldn't get Wi-Fi. So it was important for us to try to get in as many locations that didn't require our patients, our residents, to travel hours to get care. And especially during COVID, you didn't want them traveling, you didn't want them necessarily having to be exposed and um, looking at opportunities, again, for us to try to reduce travel, reduce exposure, and actually make care a little bit more comfortable for our residents in the state of Wyoming. So that is probably one of the things that I'm really most proud of in um, our ability to to expand healthcare in in the state. And Wyoming Medical Center was the largest hospital in the state. It's the largest tertiary hospital in the state. Everyone, you know, for for the most part, if it was a situation that a local hospital could not handle, that patient was usually transferred to um, Wyoming Medical Center, unless it was something that we couldn't handle. And then they usually went to the University of Colorado or another quaternary facility in Colorado.
1: Now, do you think that telehealth would have boomed, of course it had to be quick because of the pandemic, but do you think it would have happened right now had the pandemic not hit, or do you think it would have been another five, 10, 15 years?
0: It would have been five years. I think it would have been, it wouldn't have been as quickly introduced as it was as a result of COVID. Our plan was to have implemented our three stages, of telehealth expansion over about an 18 month period, we probably cut six months off of that. So we accelerated it. I think other um, healthcare facilities would have have, probably would have experienced the same. They've just accelerated it. I think there probably though are also situations where healthcare facilities didn't consider it until the pandemic, and then they scrambled to to find a, a solution. But we were fortunate enough, we had a vision, had a goal, And our board was incredibly um, supportive of the decision to move forward. It's not an inexpensive task to implement telehealth. And there was no funding from the state to do that. It was all um, Wyoming Medical Center funded. And so our board was incredibly supportive, but their vision too was how do we provide the best care, not just for the residents of of Casper or Natrona County where Wyoming Medical Center was located, but how do we provide the best care for the, the entire state?
1: Right. So I don't want to keep you too long, and this has been a great conversation, so I just have two more questions, and both of them are just insights into what you think we may hold in the future. I'm curious, do you have any idea or any insights into what may come for the next five or 10 years in healthcare? Is it more with telehealth? Is it in a different direction? I'm curious if you have any insights.
0: And, you know, that's a, it's a great question. I do think we will get to a point, though, where telehealth is not going to be the, the answer and solution for everything, right? Simply because as you take a look at it, we've got to figure out how do we connect um, all of those telehealth visits into a patient record. And I think that's going to take a little bit of time. You do lose something, and I think we talked about that on the on the panel discussion. You know, everybody has their own solution, but how do you you know, connect all of that information, and it's connecting that information that's going to help physicians to make better decisions. So I do think there will be a a time where we will max out on telehealth. I think you're going to continue to see consolidation in the industry. I think you're going to see smaller hospitals like uh, uh, we did with Wyoming Medical Center, find a partner of scale um, in order to continue to provide the incredible, sophisticated resources that um, Wyoming Medical Center did in the future. I think as you take a look at rural healthcare, and again, that's an experience that I would never have given up. It was amazing and incredible as a a leader. But you you see the struggles that a lot of the very small critical access hospitals are going through. And especially in, in states where again the population may be small or the state is not supportive or where you know you're you're looking at consolidation within that state already and how does a critical access hospital actually stand alone in a state which has greater consolidation so as you look at this i think you'll we'll see that across the country where smaller hospitals will be looking for a partner of scale will be in order to provide and continue to provide that care for the community in which they exist.
1: I'm excited to see where all that leads. And just my final question for you, we have mentioned your keynote panel that you moderated back in April, and it was a fabulous discussion. Our audience absolutely loved it. And they heard from four wonderful executives and yourself. And so we're all just curious, what do you find so beneficial about learning from executives? I want to say together in real life at these assemblies, but virtually, why do you find it so beneficial?
0: I think you always take away you know, some tidbit um, of knowledge, a new idea, a new thought. And for me, it's always been an opportunity to say, what can I do differently? What am I missing? And how can I take a idea or a project that someone else has already implemented and think about how I would apply that in my current setting. And the fact that you are with, you know, four very distinguished leaders, you then have that network. You then have that network to be able to, you know, say, hey, I, you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts or one of the panels that you had, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about X, Y, or Z. So for me, it's a resource. It's an opportunity again to say, how can I take an idea, possibly apply it and do something better tomorrow than I've done the day before. So that's why I enjoy it.
1: Well, thank you. And we hope that you'll be joining us again. I hope it's in person. It might be virtually, but hopefully one day you'll join us again. And I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. You have had an absolutely wonderful career and I know that everyone listening is going to enjoy listening to these 30 minutes. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to the Millennium Live podcast. New episodes every Monday. If you have interest in participating in a discussion like this one, feel free to reach out to us. Email info at mill-all.com.